one word for it. <laughs> well, you had Smell-O-Vision on Wonka-Vision, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that this, we've got this shelter today. I was interested in what you said outside, that Kinder's your favourite place. I didn't actually know that. Didn't you? No, yeah. I, I had a feeling it might be up there. Yeah, it's just pipped bleaklow, really. The thing I like about Kinder is that you've got this plateau... But to get to it, you've got to work hard. And it's got these sides. The only, the only, the only side I'm not really that keen on is going in from the Snake Summit, because it's that horrible flat path that s just goes on and on forever. <clears throat> I think my favourite way up is via Crowden, and going up there, and then straight on and following the river to through Kindergates and then you're out. That's a lovely walk. That's really, really nice. At any time of year, really. And there's so many ways up. And there's so many places where you can go where there isn't a path. And very few do. Very few people do. Maybe it's because of him, Scout, that I've found all these other places. But where you drop down off Blackton and you drop down to the bottom to, work to, to go to the snake, that's a beautiful little walk. And that little bridge that's down there, and then you've got the Jubilee Hut and, and everything. Mad Woman's. Doug Scott. 
he told me that his favourite thing used to be to kip out on Maggle and stuff. <laughs> and he used to bivy out there. Doug Scott was the first Briton to climb Everest. He had that big fall on the ogre where he, crawled, where he broke both his legs and, and crawled down. And, uh, and he, he was a lovely bloke, really nice man, really nice man. And he told me all about the things that he used to do on Kinder and used to love it. And it must have been packed up there in them days. Must have been, because Don Willans and Jim Perrin and Joe Brown and Doug Scott and all the others, they were all around that area. Is this around the 60s they would have been going up there? 60s, yeah, 50s and 60s. Yeah, 60s, 70s, going into that. I think when people first hear about it, it's a place that's always scary for them. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Because on there, it's like we were saying, you know, people in the, in the lakes and everything, sometimes when they get onto kinder, it's, it's difficult for them because there's no reference points. But that's a good way to explore as well. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the things that I started doing. My, the first walk I ever did was Crowden, as in Crowden over on the Woodhead, Youth Hostel, to Edale via Kinder Scout, via Bleaklow and Kinder Scout. I was 14 with my mate. And we didn't have a map. We had a guidebook that had a rough sort of map in it, drawn, hand-drawn map. I think we got as far as Charlesworth, where a news agent, we asked the way, went into a news agent to ask the way to Kinder Scout. And uh, he told us to go back home. So we walked back along the Woodhead to uh, Sheffield. A storm hit, it absolutely battered us. We knocked on a door, they slammed the door on us. And we hid in the telephone box outside the youth hostel because we weren't members and we didn't think we'd be allowed in. And then his, his dad came and got us in the car and gave us a massive telling off. But the weird thing about all that is we went the next weekend and did a walk <laughs> and we did Fox House to Baslow along the edges and fair dues to parents they, they let us do it and, and, and that was the bug got so I never actually got onto kinder I didn't get onto kinder for quite a few years actually although life started uh, taking over and things but then when I did just to wander onto it and wander into the middle and just listen and there's nothing, there's, there's not even that absence of something. There's just this place which is a little bit mystical and it's got this reputation and it's, it's, it's the true, really, understanding of sublime. It's got that awe and that f fear both mixed together and it's something that you can't... You don't want to experience it, but you can't not experience it. And I think that's the, that's the special thing about it. Uh, going up William, uh, William Clough and everything, Golden Clough. So then, then you start exploring all the other areas. And you could spend a lifetime just learning about Kinder. All the little streams and everything. And now that they've started doing the work on 
really uh, re-wetting the place. That'll be an interesting to see what it does to that. But there's the rocks, the formations. I'm fairly convinced Henry Moore must have been up either onto Kinder or onto Bleaklow because his work is just so reminiscent to what you see up there. <clears throat> and how can, how can the rain and the wind create such things out of gritstone? And then oh, the first time you come across the Edale Cross, and you think, cracky, what's this doing up here? And then you look at the ancient trackways and all that. So there's all the history and everything. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the uh, whole tourist kinder mass trespass thing. I think it was incredibly important when it happened for us in this day and for everybody that's come after. But I'm not a huge fan of the uh, of, of what happens to it now. <coughs> but that's just my own personal thing. Uh, because I'm quite selfish, I'd like kinder for myself. I don't want to see anybody else up there. Um, we did a search one night for some two people overwhelmed on kinder summer and I think there were 20 tents up there <laughs> which is really busy <laughs> including one at the other side of the bridge at Grindsbrook so it does get busy and, f and for good reason and of course at this time of year it's a regular call out for the teams that cover kinder on mountain rescue when the clocks go by everybody gets really sort of benighted up there and I, I was thinking about this yesterday actually and and for people that have never been up there in the dark they've always probably always lived in a place that's had light so they don't know what dark is and then of course it happens and they've got their phone torch which lasts a few minutes and it doesn't give any light out anyway and so they end up calling mountain rescue who almost know where they're going to be because the terrain leads people to certain places which they don't realize but that's what happens uh, and bring them down but to be on kinder at night in a full moon and a clear sky is fantastic either walk in the center or walk around the edges past the druid stones and all that to mad woman's and seal stones and things in moonlight it's just fantastic but actually to go up there and just sit and just allow the hairs to appear. Go around and, and, and on the boxing gloves. Just sit and, and look across at Old Port and all, and all that. I th I, that's, that's the stuff I find really interesting now. And I, th I do think that, that coming out of Kindergates and coming onto a, a blue sky with the downfall in front of you, that's a, that's a fantastic exit from a plateau. That uh, can't be beat, that, I don't think. So I like all them kind of things. And then you've got, uh, around Sandy Hills, you've got all those miniature canyons that are fantastic and, and are, are good protectors of the wind, from the wind. And once, when I found them, I couldn't believe I'd found them. I thought, oh, these are, this is like, like a, a miniature Grand Canyon. And he were all over him, Scout. He were up and down and in and out and everything. Yeah, so there's, there's lots of things that... And, and then you've got the weather. 
you've not experienced bad weather until you've been on Kindle. <laughs> and you've been hammered and battered by it. And you're constantly thinking, I wish I'd never come up here. <laughs> and this is just bonkers and I'm going to go down. And But something drives you on because you've got this route in your mind and and you think... Should I should I uh, do a shortcut and take the seven minute crossing and just get back down to Edale and things? And you don't. You carry on and reach your objectives, and then you get down and it's still battering you. And then you get into the cafe, into all the Ramblers or the Nags Head or whatever. And and suddenly it was a great adventure. And then winter's just. To get up there with it, with it deep snow and drifts and you've got the right kit and you've got good time and a blue sky, there's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better. And, and to get yourself off the, the paths onto some of the slopes and things, I learned that with him when we were training with him. Fantastic training ground, but you, you find some places that you never realise we're there. And, and when it snows, you see a different landscape because it's, it's removed all the, all the clutter. You just see the terrain and the contours and the folds of it and everything. And I like that. Uh, I do like that. And, and cracking ice <laughs> on the stream <laughs> with your spikes and that crunch that it makes. And that's really nice. And then and you've got like a as as you're getting towards Kindergates, you've got like that little beach with the pebbles and everything. So you're crunching along that and you're crunching through ice. So all the sounds and everything, that adds to the, that adds to the day. And then in summer, it's just when the wind drop when it's warm and there's a wind and then the wind drops and you you're in the centre of the plateau and the grass just stops moving there's no there's nothing better <laughs> there's absolutely nothing better or if it's if it just moves a little bit these tiny waves and you just laid there laid in this grass with these lovely little delicate fronds and you just lay there for an hour just soaking it up and nobody comes to you sometimes you can hear voices but no one ever comes anywhere near so that's one of the other good things you can you can get really lost on in yourself I think and the gruffs there you go following a, a mountain hair up a gruff along the bottom of it and everything yeah and being totally amazed when you come out and you're actually where you are and learning how to navigate across them and learning how to get in and out of a gruff <laughs> like uh, I, I always scrambling. Yeah, I, I always, I always do that. I always put the consistency like them chocolates with the molten centres. That's like the consistency of the pea as you drop down into it. And there's a, there's a, there is a way to get down and to get up. Of course, he don't, he's got four by four scout, so he just gets on with it. And he'll follow. Oddly enough, he'll follow the terrain. And take you, and, and he he will take me out sometimes when I've got myself a little bit tangled up. <laughs> he'll take me out, 
and I don't know how he does it, but he does. And uh, I, 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 so he's got a sense of something that I can't sense. Maybe it's the smell, maybe it's people and, and things. Yeah. Have these words like clough and gruff and hag, have they always been part of your vocabulary or are they something that you've learned through writing your books? Some have been part of my vocabulary from young clough is a, a common word in use around here. I didn't really understand what it was and I'd never seen a gruff until obviously I saw one and, um, and it was a deep one as well. <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 was, uh, that was an experience. That was, and that was on kinder. There used to be some really deep ones, 20, 30 foot deep, and once you got into them, you weren't coming out unless you walked along the bottom. Can you maybe describe what they are? Because so there may be some people listening that yeah. have no idea. A glossary. So a gruff is basically an incision in the land that's being caused generally by water taking away peat down to bedrock it will go down to bedrock which is where it stops and they can be extremely steep sided they can be 30 40 foot deep in some places some are small they used to be free of all grass so they were mainly just peat and that was because of all the pollution that came across from the industrial cities so getting Cross gruffs was an art. There was a certain, there's a certain way of walking down one side of a gruff and then climbing your way back up. And I, I, I talk about it in, in one of the books. The best thing to do is to let somebody go first. <laughs> and then when they get stuck <laughs> and they can't get out, that's when you offer encouraging words but don't help <laughs> <coughs> until they completely lose the plot and then you can lift them out. <laughs> <coughs> and that's that's one of the best forms of entertainment on on kinder scale. <coughs> so yeah, so so it, if you think about it like a chocolate cake that's had a groove cut into it to the edge, that's a gruff. A clough is on the sides of kinder, so on the steep sides. So a clough generally will rise from a valley up to the top and it's again it's like a, a miniature valley and the the best ones are wooded cloughs with old ancient trees in them ancient oaks and things and they they most of them have got water running down and quite a lot have got waterfalls um, so there's some very beautiful places on cloughs and then you get into your valleys and then there's groins there's no groins on kinder, I don't think, uh, but groins are the ones that have been cut in to drain the land. So at one point in the 50s, it was a good, they thought it was a good idea to drain the land. Uh, so you'll find these big drains all around. Now we know that that's not a good idea because uh, it releases all the carbon and also it allows water to flood down into the valleys and then your big cities get flooded and, and everything. And then the other main type of terrain that you've got is, on kinder, is predominantly grass. There, are some, there is some heather and there's some bracken, but it's predominantly grass. Lots of different kinds of sedges uh, and some very fine soft grass as well. It's very nice and, and sometimes you can, if you go at the right time, you can see a bloom 
a, a pinkish bloom that appears uh, on the grass. And then you've got the cotton grass, which is little cotton balls on green stalks just waving about in the wind. And it's beautiful. And, and if, if you get a good year when there's loads of cotton grass, then it's, it's, it's just like being in some sort of fairy tale. It's beautiful. It's truly beautiful. And how can something that has taken lives and can be so threatening and violent be beautiful? And, that, and that's the beauty of kinder. That's why I think it's loved so much. And partly because of the fact that we weren't allowed to go up there for centuries. We weren't allowed to be on there. So it was a, it was a forbidden fruit. And then when you finally get there, and you, you get into that centre, and you just feel the, the enormity of the space, and I, was, I want to say the insignificance of yourself, but the, the significance of your place in that space. That's something to ponder that. And it wipes away any problems that you've got back home or at work or whatever it is. You can't have problems up there because your problem up there is not getting lost. <laughs> <clears throat> That's your problem up there. And it's so easy to do. So if you want to practice navigation, if you want to test your navigation skills, Kinder Scout's the place, without a doubt. Go from A to B, try and cross the plateau without getting your feet wet, plot some routes, see if you're there, try and find the high point, try and find the highest point of kinder. That's always a good test because it moves quite a lot. <laughs> so, it's not obvious, is it? To no, get there? it's not obvious. It's not obvious, and 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 although although it's always got a tiny cairn on it, I'm fairly convinced people keep moving that cairn mm. around uh, because they think it's not there, and and the trigs, the three trigs, and then even you know getting down off off the slopes and Golden Clough and Ringing Roger. Oh, Ringing Roger's fantastic. And, and you've got a real geological feature there uh, with all the irons and everything that's held in the rock, rugosities that's held in the rock. And you can sp spend a, a good couple of hours just, look, just studying that and looking at it and trying to understand the geology of it all. And then you come to places like this on this, and all these, the booths that's all the way around. And, and, and you learn that these are vaccaries, a station for, that the monks had where they reared cattle out of. And they're all down there. So there's all this industry around it, and the Normans were here. You know, like we said before, you read Dale Cross, and then you've got the Asteria Society. They see it as one of their top places in the world. I think it's one of the top ten in the world, isn't it, as a spiritual place. And they've carved things into the rocks. And they've carved things into the rocks. And it is a spiritual place. It is a, it, it, it is a place where if you spend time there, you will connect with things that are not of your normal world. And I think, I think that's why it's really magical. And to sleep on there, and it doesn't really matter what you're gonna wake up to, whether it's gonna be sunrise or rain or mist or fog, it doesn't matter. You just wake up in that place, and and if it's if it's fog 
a mist, you've got that mist moving through you like a veil. And if it's a bright sunshine, if it's a beautiful day, that is fantastic. Most times it's raining. <laughs> Most times it does rain. <laughs> and, and because it gets the westerly. And it gets all that, all the muck and everything uh, from, from the west. And, and sometimes, like on Bleaklow, if the wind's in the right direction, you can smell the Irish Sea. And you think, oh, no, I can smell the sea. I'm glad you've said that because I have thought that before and thought I was going mad. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, you can smell the sea at Blackpool. You can smell, almost smell Blackpool, chips and candy floss. Definitely. <laughs> and then you just crayfish and chips as yes. soon as you get back yes. to Edale. But that's the beauty of it. And then, and then you think about the birds and the curlew and all that that's up there. And you listen to them and you listen to their calls and... And it's fine. The only thing I've never seen up there is a fox. And I'm assuming there's just not enough for them to survive on up there. It's much better lower down. And then, of course, you've got the views. It's not just about the plateau. It's about standing on a massive rock and, and looking out at the valleys and looking out at the Great Ridge and over onto Bleaklow and, and beyond, moving up the Pennines. And all that's in one tiny little area, but it's the most difficult area to navigate through, and it costs. It's the most expensive area in terms of effort to get up to. So it has to be worth it, doesn't it? Has to be worth it. Uh, and what I've had whiteouts on there, and that was really interesting. You wouldn't expect a whiteout to to be in the Peak District, but I've had them on there. You know, and this is why people people are always surprised that the Peak District has got seven mountain rescue teams. Well, it's because of that environment, those kinds of environments. No, there's, there isn't any massive pointy peaks and everything. There's not. There's there's nothing like that. Uh, there's a wild, untamed landscape that is beautiful and will show you the most exciting things but if you make a mistake and you're not prepared it'll punish you for it and you can't have a better landscape than that really the thing's alive it's it's an entity in itself and it knows that it can do whatever it wants with you so it Respect. I think you learn respect. Actually, I think you learn respect for you. You learn respect for yourself in knowing that what your boundaries are, and you learn respect for other people, and you learn respect for the land. So it is something that's actually a great teacher. And once you've, you know, uh, you try and do the the twenty four mile circuit, and and you look at an, on a map and you think, well, that's dead easy. That's just a few hours. And 11 hours later, you're still going. And you're thinking, oh, this is just ridiculous, this. Because you don't realise how long that path is around the edge. You don't realise how many times you're going to go in and out. And then, the, and then um, to pick a way up, say Fairbrook Nays, you get a different experience. Blackton, different experience. Grinesbrook. Another completely unique experience, particularly with all the boulders and everything. On Crowdenbrook, you're, you're going up and you're over waterfalls and you're scrambling underneath rocks and everything. 
and you pop out uh, and uh, you've got the PIM chair and everything. It took me ages to find the PIM chair. <laughs> when I first started, I kept looking, you know. Well, the, the pagoda's quite a distraction, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> It's absolutely massive. <laughs> so, yeah, and 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 then you yeah, and you stand looking at the rocks around there and around Crowden, and you think, how 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 has wind and rain something so soft made that? Uh, and it's just beautiful. I I really like it. I like the grits though when it it comes through as yellow. I love that. I think it's really really and and to feel that sand. That sandy floor underneath some of the big rock outcrops. Yeah, you get that top of Grindsbrook, don't you? Yeah. It's, it's really, really sandy up there. Yeah. And Ringy Roger as well. Yes. Yeah. And some of the, even just some of the southern path edges, are the, you just feel like you're walking at the beach. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you've got the little bits of quartz in it and it's all glinting and everything. And then, oh, uh, Jagger's Clough, Crookston Barn. Jagger's Clough. That tree that is down there, that's not as iconic, but almost as Sycamore Gap. It is just perfect. And even even the signpost is perfect on that. The whole image, it's, it's almost as though that's all been planned. But that's a really nice way up onto Kinder, that. Um, and it's not it's not a huge pull either. You've had the pull getting up to the top of Wind Hill, and then come across onto the um, Hope Cross and, and then up. And it's a really nice way up. And then you can sit down at uh, Mad Woman's and just put your lean back against on a summer's day against warm grit stone. Oh, take your boots off, <laughs> twiddle your toes. Oh, it's just fantastic. And, and watch for the lizards, mm. the little common lizards running around and everything. Yeah, great, great place. And then try and navigate your way through to um, one of the other two trigs, through the centre, see how far you can get. Nice little challenge. You can always just go downhill <laughs> until you meet a road or whatever. And I think that's, that's one of the problems with it. It's not a problem. That's one of the problems that people have is that there's no, you can drive to a car park, you can get a train, get off in the train, and within 10, 15 minutes, you can be on the Grindsbrook path. Uh, and you get up onto the top, and you can see the railway line, and you can see roads, you can see the road going over Mamto. So, how hard can it be? How difficult is it? I can see I can see a road. This can't be a dangerous place. And that's what lulls people into a false sense of security, um, particularly when uh, you get the clocks changing and the night falls. And then it's like, I don't know where I am. Because that's the other thing. People don't pay attention to where they are because they're so mesmerised, taken in by the landscape of Kinder. So they just wander. And, and then next thing is, where are we? I don't know, I've no idea. And, and try and orientate yourself when you've no idea where you are. How, which is north 
when you stood in the centre of the Kinder Plateau, where's north? And does that help you anyway, if you know where north is? That's <laughs> so <clears throat> it does. And, and actually, reading the map gives you a lot more information and makes it a much more enjoyable place to be in. So I, I, I just love it. I love it. I, it's, got, it's got everything you could want. It's got landscape, it's got geology, it's got history, it's got social history, it's got daring do's. It's got everything. I mean, you know, and it's got the Pennine Way. It's probably one of the nicest bits of the Pennine Way. I think it's very nice. In fact, all these parties, it's, it's really nice. Uh, but it's that... I used to prefer when you went up Grindsbrook, because I thought I, I always thought that was a better way uh, across. Or ground or Crowden, when you and then you went straight on to the Kinder Gates and things. Why did it change? Um, it's just um, access and erosion. I think I think that's probably why it changed. Mm. Just make it easier, and I mean you can see the the hammer that uh, Jacob's ladder gets with all the people going up that. So there is, you know, it does get a lot of, uh, of erosion, but the, and there's, there's erosion taking place on the Grimesbrook path again, because a lot of people are going up that way. So the, the banks are getting undercut and everything. So that's, that'll need some work. The path that they put in on Ringing Roger is nice, a nice zigzag path. So that's, that's lovely, but you can go other ways. It doesn't have to be a path. There's nothing that stops you going off path and clawing your way up Golden Clough or whatever. That'd be, that's really nice. How did your Dark Peaks walking guidebook come about? I fell off a mountain, wrote about it. Someone picked that up and I started doing a little bit of writing. And then Mark Richards, who'd done the original Peak District guides, the beautiful with the hand-drawn uh, routes and everything, and ha handwritten beautiful books. Uh, I asked Mark if he'd take part in an event which didn't come off, but Mark was at the point where he was having to renew the routes for the uh, for his what he called High Peak. And he asked me if I'd accompany him on some of the routes because I was a park ranger at that time in the Dark Peak, and. Uh, um, so we had a few days out, and then he phoned me up and said, look, I, I, he really got a lot on his plate of other things. He's recently done the Hadrian's Wall route and all that kind of stuff. And he said, do you want to do it? And I thought, oh, yes, that'd be really nice. I'll jump at that chance. So Jonathan Williams from Ciceron came down, and we went for a walk up to Crow Edge, Crowstones, and came back. And it's fantastic up there. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, and he uh, opened his boot, and there was a contract for three books, Dark Peak, White Peak East, and White Peak West. Wow. And that's how it started. And, and it was really good, because I, I wanted people to explore areas. My, my aim of the books, and particularly the Dark Peak, was I wanted people to get away from the well-worn routes. And I wanted people to explore areas and have new experiences, which forced me to go and find things out. <clears throat> and it's the best way of, uh, of exploring, just to go and see what that little valley, that little clough, that little gruff there, that, what does it do? 
And where it says spring, so go and find the spring, Lord Edward's spring, or go and find the, the waterfall. I just used to tramp around. That's all I did. I just walked and walked and walked and gradually built up the roots and, and this would be an interesting room. And sometimes what I wanted to do was put a mixture of, particularly for kinder, so there's a very difficult route that I do on kinder, which is notorious for people sending me angry emails. <laughs> <laughs> so I, wa I wanted to do a mixture of something that was light and easy for somebody who's never been up there. So the, the, the process was to take somebody from a nice, easy valley walk, build their confidence and get them onto the top. Maybe take them to Kindergates, then bring them back down and then start taking them into the centre. And the same for places like Bleaklow. So the book had a mixture of routes increasing in difficulty, either in technical difficulty or really just the amount of strength and energy required to complete the walk or a mixture of the two. And, and, that's, and that's how it started. And I learned so much. I learned more about the landscape in doing that, falling in bogs. I learned how to walk across bogs and all that kind of thing. And then uh, having getting Scout, so that's, he shows you a different, Scout shows you a completely different kind of landscape because he can go to places that I would never think of going. And, and, and he finds things, finds places that I would never have found. And so that, that was quite a revelation. So there's quite a lot of those that are built into it as well. And, you know, you start asking yourself, well, why can't you, why can't you walk up a river? Why do you have to walk at the side of it? Why can't you walk up a river? And, and walking down the Old Port is really good, and walking down the Ashford is fantastic. It feels really wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And there are times where you get scared, mm. particularly if you're out a long, on a long day and the light goes and you've got your torch and everything. You're perfectly kitted out and stuff, but you may be getting tired and you're starting to make mistakes. You can only put that in your book because you've made that mistake. And you can only tell somebody about that because you've done it. Uh, so it, it was, even the mistakes were really educational and, and good for people. And, and I talk about them in the books. I say, you know, don't do this. When I did this, it, it went horribly wrong. And that's quite nice. I don't think there's anything wrong in that. If someone's done a walk and thinks that they've never made a mistake on a walk, gone the wrong way or whatever, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I've walked off the top of mountains the wrong way several times. Ask Alison. I once walked her 2,000 foot down into the wrong valley in the lakes, and we had to walk all the way back up again and back down the other side. And that was a quiet night after that. <laughs> Bet. <laughs> and that's because I was convinced I knew where I was going, and I didn't look at the map. My yeah. ego had got the better of me. That complacency can so easily happen. What you do is you build up this narrative in yourself that's gradually taking you further and further away from the reality. And places like kinder, it'll punish you for that. So it improves your skills, and it, 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 but it also improves your ability to sense what's going off in your own mind and body. And there's no, there's no shame in turning around and coming down there's absolutely no shame at all. There's no shame in, in stopping somebody and saying, look, I think I'm here. Is that, do you think that? 
if it gets you down, it gets you down. If it stops the the lads from Kinder and Buxton and, and Edale being dragged out at two o'clock in the morning, then it's a good thing. But if that happens, then call them out and they'll generally be able to pinpoint you from the bed. They'll know where you are. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I th you see, you've got, one, you've got one space on a map and, and it's got all that stuff in it. You don't, need, you don't need anything else. You could spend a lifetime just exploring it. You could spend, you could spend years just identifying as a little project all the little fauna and flora that's on there and build up a really nice book of experiences from it. And all you've done is a few square kilometres. Can't be better. Do you feel like your perspective has changed over time? Did you used to have like a real thirst for going to the biggest mountains and hitting loads of different peaks? Or has it always been the case that you've just really appreciated wherever you are? I, th I, think, I think it's an age thing. I think um, when you're young, you're going to do the 25 miles a day and the ascent and the several peaks and all that kind of thing. You're going to do all that. Uh, and, and, and they're sort of rites of passage. But if along the way you can pick up either the history or the geology or a mixture of it or the flora and fauna, birds and wildlife, then it's adding to you. Then life comes along and generally families comes along and, and you don't have time for it. You lose some of that ability. The more, you know, you, you were saying it earlier that the amount of time you spend up there now, you're really fit. The more you do it, the fitter, and, and the more your body becomes attuned with the landscape. It knows how to move and your feet know how to go on the rocks and everything. Well, you lose that. Yeah, when work gets in the way and family and everything, all that comes calling on your time, you start to lose that. So then you have to re-engage it. And the first thing you do is, uh, as a 40-year-old, you think you're 20 again. <laughs> and you nearly kill yourself. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then and you never want, you're never yeah, able to <laughs> exercise ever again. <laughs> and you can't, you can't walk for days after. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then you think, right, the best way out of that is to go and buy some kit. The kit's not going to make any difference, <laughs> no. but, but you go and buy all this really high-technical, expensive <laughs> kit uh, because, uh, because you, you're not fit enough. <laughs> and, and, and so you go through that process, you go through all that, and then, you know, you get up there and, and you sit down and you think, actually, this is not bad, this. I'm just going to sit here for a little while. And no longer are you yomping. And, and the, the younger lads... They'll say, oh, we're going to do a 20 mile, and you start saying, ah, actually, I'm, I'm just going to do a, a, a good 16, 16 miles today. I'll be all right. You get off and, and things like that. So you do all that, and you go through that process. And as you get older, maybe you start making excuses. Well, I'm just going to go up to, I'm just going to go up to ring in, Roger, and I'm just going to study all that rock because it's interesting. And you find, actually, that it is interesting. So you, you start to, I've started to get, more of an immersive experience. Touch, sound, it's a smell, it's a hearing, and it's a it's the hairs on the back of your neck feeling that I've that I have now. And and that can be at any particular level. 
in terms of height or anything. It doesn't have to. I don't have to get high now. It's not something that I'm looking to do. What I'm looking to do now is 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 really just. I'm looking for ways of describing the landscape as an entity and how I am in it and what what do I actually leave behind in a landscape because we all do whenever we go anywhere we leave something of ourselves behind so what am I contributing to it and what am I seeing this is one of my, my latest things what am I actually seeing when I look at something because each person will see a different thing now why is that well, I've got my own stuff that's going off, my own history and uh, all the things. So I put all that lot into the landscape. So I don't actually see the landscape that's in front of me. So I'm trying to learn to see what is actually in front of me without me putting on my lens. And that's a really difficult thing. And you can do that up there because one of the things that Kinder does is, that Kinder has got is, it strips away all the other things it's just got kinder there's no walls or anything like that and you've just got the senses so what are you sensing what am i seeing what can i smell can i smell cotton does cotton grass smell i don't know <laughs> i don't know i'll have to find out you know or, or you know and, and and you've got you've got some beautiful you know you know when you walk at the side of in spring and you walk at the side of the derwin and you can smell the wild garlic it's fantastic, isn't it? You know, you know what period of the year you're in and you know what sort of terrain you're in. You can do that on kidney, you can do that anywhere. That takes you to another level, I think. And, and that requires a different way of looking at your existence within that landscape. That landscape's been there for 350 million years, just the top bit the bit below it, another couple of hundred million years. I've got a rock in my study that's 2.6 billion years old. 2.6 billion years old. And that came from a Scottish beach. So my, my presence here is, is not even uh, <laughs> a nanosecond. But I'll have been here. I will have existed here. Uh, and what am I... What am I putting back to it? What am I giving to it and what am I taking away? That's, that's what I do now. Uh, and I've, got, I've got a mate and uh, we were out walking and uh, we were, there were a group of us and somebody, were, I set off to get to this point and somebody says, Paul, you're going the wrong way. <laughs> and my mate said, no, he's going old man's route. <laughs> you take the easy route up. And, and I do, I do these days. I take the easy route and I take my time and I stop and I'm trying to draw. I'm trying to draw what I see, and I'm rubbish at drawing. <laughs> I'm absolutely rubbish, because I'm trying to draw it like a technical drawing, where I should be more free and everything. But I do like it, I enjoy it, and I get a lot of pleasure out of it, particularly if it looks something remotely like what I'm looking at. And just feel, oh God, you know, feeling gritstone, feeling warm. Have you smelt, have you smelt cold, gritstone and uh, it's almost uh, it's best to smell it when there's snow because you can smell the snow and then smell the gritstone and there's the there's this metallic mm -hmm. i was going to say it does smell metallic it is um 
you don't even have to get that close to it to smell it. Yeah. That's right, you can, can't you? It's fantastic. Um, and then, and then, of course, you get you get the petrichor coming up and everything after it's. Re- and I think one of the finest times you can have. One of my best experiences, really, is a really hammering storm, and then the sun comes out, and you get that indigo sky on the black clouds from the sun, and the the whole of it just lights up, and then the earth just starts to release all its scents. That is fantastic. That is lovely. That. And and they're the things you remember. You don't remember the trudge up Grindsbrook. You don't remember getting your foot trapped in between two rocks and and thinking, crikey, I'm going to have to call Mountain Rescue. I'm not going to live, live this down. And you remember those moments. Those are the bits that I write about. Uh, Do yeah. you feel like... Now that you're not going up onto Kinder Scout, do you feel that it's enough for you to have those memories? Yes, it is. And, and, that, and that's another reason for the books, for the guidebooks and all, uh, and, and the like, really. And another reason for what I do now is, is so that I can, I can write about this and have that experience... I've had that experience and I can get back into it as soon as I pick up a piece of writing or a photograph or a memory or somebody mentions a place and I'm I'm straight back there and I can I can tell the tales of numerous days up there. Do I regret not being able to get up there? Do you know I don't think I do. I don't. Uh, do I miss it? I don't think I do. I can't get up there. It would be silly for me to try and get up there now. Uh, it, I'd be a liability. And I don't want to put anybody in a position where they have to come and get a liability that can be avoided. So I, I, I won't be going up there. But I've got my photos and I've got the writing and I've got what other people tell me about it. And I've got other books. and th- I, see, I see people doing their camps on Kinder and, and I see the... You know, I, I regularly see Andrew Beavers on up there, and he's, he's saying it's a wonderful morning and everything. And I know what he's feeling. I know that. Uh, so, do I have regrets? No, no, there's no regrets. Um, I would have had a regret if I hadn't had that experience of being on Kinder. That would have been a regret, and and that would have only happened if I hadn't been. Brave enough, if you like, or stupid enough to go up there in the first place, uh, not knowing what I was going to expect. And sometimes you, you have to do the, the silly things to actually take you to a new place. Um, so no, no, no regrets. Uh, this has been a lovely walk here. I've really, really enjoyed it. I was saying, I was saying, I was, you know, I got a lot of anxiety about doing the walk, would I be able to do it or not? Uh, and even a slight rise now can cause me to uh, have problems with my breathing and everything. But this has been lovely, and to sit in here and just talk and have some tea from our dual flasks <laughs> and, and it, it, with the same dint in the, in the lids, it, it's lovely. 
it's like, uh, you know, I like old churches. I'm not a religious person, but I love old churches because there's something about them. And you can sit in there and you can feel the history and the people seeping into you. So, no, I've no regrets. I've, no re I've, I've enjoyed my time and I, mean, I enjoy people talking about it. And also, I've got lots of people that get enjoyment out of it from the work that I did. So it's passed on. Uh, and you're the next step on that. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I remember when I, after I first came here and then I was just so taken by the place. And then someone who I knew, he's a walking leader, who I knew, and I was asking him about roots here. And he said, oh, you really should get this book by Paul Besley that's just coming out. And that's how I first came across you. And to think now that we've walked together and you've introduced me to a publisher, it's just within, yeah, six, seven years, I just feel... The way that's come round, I could never have imagined it. You know, someone just says, "Oh, you should get this book," and then, but then I was so, I was taken by the book, but definitely by you, and you know, by what you shared in your blog posts, and and then meeting you and meeting Scout at the at the train station in Sheffield, and you're collecting money for Mountain Rescue. You know, those things are so. Yeah. They're such fond, happy memories of mine that have really helped me. Hmm. But that's the beauty about this world that we inhabit, the outdoor world. And, and, and everybody's there and they'll help each other. And we're just like a, we're just like this little universe of people and we interconnect and, and one bounces off the other and ideas and everything. And things go right and things don't go right, but it moves on and, and good things come from it. And just... Just go with the flow, yeah. Just uh, you think, you know, you think about Kinder, that landscape, billions of years old. It'll outlast us, I think. It'll way outlast us, uh, and it'll just carry on doing what it does. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't try and create things. It just allows things to develop, and, and maybe we should take a lesson from that. I think. The gentleness of it. Kinder can be gentle. And it, it, it's a, Kinder's a place that's, that's contributed. And, and I think we contribute to it as well. I hope we do. I hope that that's something that we feel we've a need to do, to contribute. Uh, not to own it. I don't think you can own Kinder. I think it's... No one can own something like Kinder. But we can be there for it and enjoy it and appreciate it. And isn't it fantastic when you meet someone else or some people who share that, mm. those feelings who... I think it's... You know, I, I felt it so strongly and now over the years that I've found others who feel similar things maybe in different ways you know through different experiences and perhaps often with way m many 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 more years than I've spent here but when you find someone who you can connect with and talk about kinder mm. and they get it it really so it's been fantastic to sit here with you today and to hear you talk about it in yeah such a eloquent way 
Well, thank you for asking me, and thank you for taking me for a walk. <laughs> I think you took me, really. You came up with a route. Or maybe Scout took both of us. Maybe Scout took both of us. What does Scout think of Kinder? Speak up. Speak. 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 Oh, clever boy. Clever boy. <laughs> oh, he's going to get a treat now. He's been so good. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No rustling. I thought he was going to be a little, a little pest, but he's been great. So just, oh, you've spoken so beautifully and so extensively about kinder. But I always ask everybody as a kind of summary, what makes you wild about kinder? Ooh. <clears throat> I, th I think it goes back to that sublime from the Romantics period. I think, I think that is what kinder is about. It's that awe-inspiring, fear-inducing beauty of the place. Is that all right? Oh, yeah. That was absolutely Good. amazing. Good. I feel like I could probably spend another three hours <laughs> listening. I have listened to you on other po podcasts, and have I absolutely like Yeah, the one that the guy from Kinder Mountain Rescue... Oh, yeah. I think uh, it's yeah. like a three-part yeah, one with you. Yeah, it was a long one, that, yeah. I absolutely loved it.